Hey everyone, I'm Zach Smithley, and you're listening to the Super Lit Podcast. My name is Brendan Patrick. We have a special guest with us today. Uh, can you tell me your name one more time, good sir? <laughs> Zach Smedley, although people have pronounced it many other ways. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the many ways. But uh, we are the Super Late Podcast. We are a bi-weekly podcast pertaining to books about the LGBT community. And um, I guess this is like a special episode because I normally don't like get to read a book and like post an episode and then talk about it with the, the author. Um, so I'm very excited to have you here today. Well, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you for making time in your life for us. Absolutely. But um, before we start, I think a good way to just make you laugh a little bit, or at least me, um, you need to tell me that you posted on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, a story about... Um, <laughs> I, I knew you were, I knew you were, were going to ask about this. <laughs> I'm literally laughing thinking about the tweet. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh no, it's it's it was it was really funny when it happened. I can narrate it unless <laughs> I don't know if you can read it. No, I mean yeah, I mean one minute. Sure. I didn't think I would laugh this hard. No, take I'm your really, time. <laughs> I'm really uh, having a time right now. Oh my god. I was having a time as soon as I got the milk cleaned up. Oh my gosh, I have a hundred percent done that before. Um, where I've definitely like <laughs> any anyone who hasn't like read the tweet already is going to be really confused at this point because i haven't told the story yet <laughs> yeah i'm sorry for everyone that's sitting there going why is he laughing so hard um okay so i had a thankfully small glass of milk in one hand and my phone <laughs> and my phone in the other and i meant to toss the phone on my bed but guess what happened just guess i'll give you a hint i threw milk all over my bed <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was one of those things where I just walked into my room at the end of like a long day and then I did the thing. And as soon as the milk left my hand, I just went Bruh. like I made that noise really loud. <laughs> it was like already funny to me as it was happening. I'm physically sobbing right now because I'm <laughs> laughing so hard. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those things where I could either get, like, like terribly, terribly upset, or I just started laughing at myself pretty much immediately. I still might have to, like, get a new mattress, because I have one of those, like, thick foam ones that's super absorbent. So I, like, picked up the almost empty glass, and the rest of the milk was in the bed where it still remains, so... Oh my yeah. god, I'm so sorry. I just literally cackled at you. Oh no, no, it's 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 hilarious. You can't not. I would put that in a like book or something, but I think I'd get criticized for it being too like cartoonish. <laughs> um I I think the one time I like made myself pasta and I like went and I think 
I had I was living in Philadelphia. I had like this bowl of pasta. I think I didn't have pants on. I think it was just like t- I was porky pig in it. I think. Okay. Um, and I literally, as I sat down at my table, the pasta dropped directly onto like my lap, and I think I screamed. <laughs> I think that's funny, but it was like sauced pasta. Oh. <laughs> and it was like everywhere. My roommate walks into my room, and she's like are you okay? And I think I was just like covering my face and it was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel terrible and it's very hot, but I don't want to get up because then it's real. Yeah. I did the thing once where I was like making burgers on the stove. Cause that's the type of person I am. And as I was going over to the sink to like drain the grease out of the pan, I turned it just a little too far upside down. And so both of my finished burgers fell into the dirty sink and then I ordered a pizza. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then I ordered a pizza. Yeah, anytime anything inconvenient happens, food-related or not, my solution is to just get food made by someone else, which is both privileged and unhealthy, but that's where I'm at. Honestly, no joke. I think I left the room once. I was making soup, and I left the room for, like, a minute. My room is right next to the kitchen. Okay. And I came back into the kitchen, and I had burned the soup, and I was so mad <laughs> that I literally, I think, dumped it out. And I'm, like, storming out of the house, and my dad's like, you've been home for two minutes. What's wrong? And I was like, I burnt the soup. I need to go to Wawa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, now that now that I've uh, got you off guard... Um, uh, why don't you tell us a little about your book, uh, called Deposing Nathan. All right. Well, you guys talked about it. I think it was one or two episodes ago, but, um, my elevator pitch for it is it's about a boy named Nate who has to give a legal statement about how and why he was stabbed by his best friend, Cam. And usually when I say that people get like this alarmed look on their faces because they're not expecting me to, <laughs> uh, go so dark in one sentence with a YA book. Um, so usually the rest of that, what I tell them is it's about sexuality versus religion. And I wanted it to write a book, uh, for the young adult community that makes the argument that, uh, religion, specifically Christianity and, um, sexuality are not mutually exclusive and can coexist together. Not saying that they necessarily have to, but, um, just arguing that they can, because I found that there weren't that many books that really even covered that territory, let alone made that argument. And so what I saw, especially growing up is we, um, had, I think more than one person in like my class or my immediate friend group, even who, um, was just like LGBT, but didn't see themselves necessarily in books and movies like Love, Simon, or Call Me By Your Name. I don't know if, well, that's technically not YA, but um, they weren't really seeing like the spiritual aspect of their life um, portrayed in that. So that's sort of what I wanted to tackle with this book. It's funny, when I was talking to Sophie about this, I think I mentioned that I hadn't read any books for the podcast other than um, the very, very dark one that I don't like to talk about that I was yeah. talking to you about earlier, um, that handle um, like sexuality and religion in like the same breath, if you will. Um, mm. And uh, I think that it was a very interesting aspect of the book as well, because it, I really can't name off the top of my head, uh, books that I enjoyed or that, that have those two together or that just do it in general. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, I think, uh, like, when I wrote it, I kept saying to myself, I said, there's no way this is going to be published. Or if it is, it's going to be, like, with, um, in a very small, like, indie publishing circle, and it's not going to get, you know, big distribution or big readership. It's just going to get a very select following because it's going to be uh, too queer to really bring in religious folks and too religious to really bring in queer folks, which is, I mean, that's what I thought at the time. And I've been honestly astounded at how many people have read it and liked it and gotten something from it, which was always my goal. I, yeah, I think, um, I think you handled it in a very, I don't want to say careful way because it, I don't, I don't think that's the right word, but I think you did it in a way that um, was very thoughtful. Um, and it, I definitely, I'm a person who grew up in a very Catholic household. Um, I went to Catholic school. I talk about this all the time. And I have always felt like there, like there is a way for like the two things to coexist with each other. They just don't for me. Um, and it's like weird. Sometimes I wish that I was more, uh, religious and then other times I'm just like, eh, it feels <laughs> like a roadblock for me. Um, especially since like sometimes I, it makes me feel bad. So I try not to think about it at all. Yeah. Um, but, sorry, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I seem to remember you guys playing that, uh, Kiki Palmer vine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I think a lot of people assume that I myself am uh, strongly religious and strongly Christian because of the subject material of the book. And um, while I don't, I'm not entirely excluding myself from that category, I'm not like particularly religious. And I, most of the um, religious angst or um worries that the main character has uh was actually based on i had to do a lot of like research and reading about other people's experience because uh, very few of the things that the main character went through are things that i've ever actually gone through myself i literally would have not known that if you had not said that because that like i felt like this was like you explaining your own journey. And I was just like, yeah, this makes sense. He's probably like a religious dude. Like it, <laughs> it just seemed like a thing to me. Honestly, not, not my journey at all. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, and I know even my agent, when she called me to like offer me representation, one of the very first things she said to me is she said, I've never had this happen with a client before, but I have to remind myself not to call you Nathan because of like the voice in the book and stuff, um, which I'm flattered by. But yeah, no, it's if anything, my journey was more similar to Cam's in the book where it was just like um, growing up. It's like I didn't know that I was LGBT, but once I figured it out, I was like fine with it in about two seconds. Um, and to me, the question of like that versus religion to me it was never like a one versus the other thing in my brain it was just that the two can coexist at whatever levels they whatever levels i want them to coexist at (laughs) um so no i i the inspiration for this was seeing that other people were having so much harder of a time with getting to that same place yeah i i i think you did a very good job um doing that Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh my gosh, of course. Also, um, 
I literally thought that this is like kind of your journey, so I'm just like very baffled. Not at I all. <laughs> maybe it's not baffled, I want to say. I'm just like, wow, okay, that's like game changer. You're flabbergasted. Authors literally amaze me all the time. <laughs> but um, I guess uh, I remember you sent me, speaking of, since we're on the topic of religion, you sent me a like a bunch of Easter eggs that you had like included in the book. Oh yeah, it's I. I still don't know if that's the right term. It's like stuff that you would pull out of like an English class or something. Like all of uh, a lot of the important phrases appear in threes as like an allusion to the Holy Trinity and stuff. Um, or like during the stargazing scene at the start of the book, um, it's that day goes exactly like the boys' last day together, where they both. Uh, run away from their oppressive setting, uh, walk through the night together, lay down in Ace together, uh, build a project together, and then talk about life together and connect. Like, stuff like that that I guarantee no one's ever going to uh, feel so passionately for this book that they're going to, like, pull that out on their own, because you'd probably have to think about it a whole bunch and read it a whole bunch, but it's just sort of stuff that I... Um, Pretty much every single sentence in this book was, like, very deliberate and very meticulous um, when I wrote it. So there is a lot to glean out of it if you so desire. <laughs> That's actually really interesting because um, when you you had sent me these and I started reading through them, I was like, oh, my God, yeah, like, this is amazing. And I love that it's something that, like you like readily talk about it was it was very interesting to to realize like the the boys journeys together how they begin and end is is basically the same way which is which was great yeah and there's even stuff like during their last stargazing scene they talk about how they count seven stars and that's an allusion to the book of revelations where there's an angel holding seven stars that signifies the tribulation period marking the end of the world and that scene is where the boys world is about to end so it's again no one is ever ever going to know that unless i just tell them uh, literally this is <laughs> and, like, <laughs> the fact that you're not like a like super religious person. And then you're like, well, here's this. And I'm like, okay. So I literally, I used to read the book of revelations in school just because it was like the one part of the Bible we didn't talk about in class. So I was like, yeah, there's a whole part of this book we're missing fam. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> I literally, as someone who just like sat there to do it just because like, what else is there to do at Catholic school? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> um, it's just very interesting to have someone who's like, yeah, this is this and this. And I'm like, oh, wow, I I wouldn't have even thought of that. Yeah, well, and the thing, one of the things I like about writing, particularly to Posing Nathan, is I get to sound way, way smarter than I actually am. Because, <laughs> um, like, anything from, like, the character of Cam is obviously smart in a lot of areas, so I had to do a ton of research for... Uh, writing his character so like i took a couple of biomedical engineering classes my senior year at college and a medical terminology class so that i could write him more authentically i studied uh law for about three or four months to do all the research for the deposition to make sure it's entirely accurate and like he talks about even stuff like um the Planck era of the universe or the dawkins scale or agnosticism and like I didn't know any of that shit before I like researched it. <laughs> like it was just whatever I talk about in this book and in any books I write afterwards, I want to know what the hell I'm talking about. So 
I'm never going to write anything that's just poorly researched or like the Grey's Anatomy type of like dramatization without any of the real substance to back it up. I literally feel like I went into reading this book going, yeah, he's a smart person. Like, uh, obviously, <laughs> I think you are very smart. Um, also, just hearing all of that, like, it just cements the fact I'm like, yes, this person is very smart. But, like, I went into this thinking you just, like, knew these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, it's it, actually very little of it is, like, stuff that I personally find fascinating and, like, talking about. <laughs> I literally... <laughs> I... I'm finding out so much about this book right now. I guess that's what we're here for. <laughs> Truly. Um, no, I I thought that, like, out of the two characters, like, just b- based on, like, what what is your job again? Like, what do you do again? I'm a thermochemical engineer. Yeah, to me, that sounds like words that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, uh, I engineer, and it has to do with chemical laboratories. <laughs> So, like, I design stuff, I build stuff, I make things work when they don't work so good. And uh, on the weekends, I bake and build furniture. I literally, everything that you just said, I, like, want to know. I want to just sit there and be like, (laughs) tell me more. Because, like, if I don't know anything about something, I'm immediately, or if it's something I can't do. Uh Like, I can't illustrate or draw, so I'm very interested in people who have that talent. Um, painting is also included in that. I'm just like, if it's something I can't do or know nothing about, and someone is like very uh, passionate about talking about it, I'm very interested. And I feel like, did you build a a deck in your backyard that you had to take down? Yes, I did. That was me. (laughs) I was trying to figure out who I followed on Twitter that did that. Yeah, yeah. And then I put put up that like memorial video of it to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On, played on like the recorder poorly. Yeah. I literally, I'm having like deja vu because I feel like I'm remembering this very like physically right now. Yes. Yeah. I built that. I got the takedown notice on, uh, I was like July 24th, I believe. So I guess that's actually a segue you didn't ask for. Uh, I do have Cam's uh, memory. I love that. Yeah. It's now, unfortunately, I also have like all the negative effects he experiences. Uh, although in the book, they are much more downplayed and kinder to him than real life. Because if I made it uh, harder for him to deal with, it would seem like a cheap plot device to elicit sympathy. So I toned it down in the book, but it is a very real thing I deal with in uh, real life. I can't imagine having, having to like, go through that only because like, I feel like I remember things very like, uh, I studied photography, so I'm very much like a visual person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like my brain gives me, uh, enough grief in different departments that I, I'm glad that I don't necessarily have the best memory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cause like, it's like Cam says in the book, like the things that are really shitty are not, like remembering bad experiences um it's more remembering good stuff that's not there anymore so like a couple of days ago as i fell asleep i got really sad because i remembered my um 19th birthday which was my freshman year at uh umbc in college and i remembered that all of my friends like that night uh, made me this ice cream cake because I knew I liked ice cream cake and that we were sitting on the bed talking for a couple hours until one of my friends laughed so hard they like almost legitimately like peed themselves like without hyperbole 
and uh, that we then walked to our dining hall and got like late night food and stuff and took a nice selfie. And, you know, it's like picture just randomly seeing that picture, except it's more like a video reel. How I like to describe it is picture every night when you go to sleep or just at random inconvenient points during the day, someone puts a video in front of you and it's like a random home video from a couple minutes of your life at any given point. So like, sometimes it's not that interesting, but sometimes it's like, Oh shit. Like, all right, that's, that sucks to remember, <laughs> you know, if it's like a, a relationship that you aren't in anymore or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. No, that, I think that would be the thing that uh, plagues me all the time because I'm, uh, if I remember things that I don't ha- like have, or like people that don't, exist anymore um it like it sticks with me and i can imagine that it would be bad for me yeah well and that's why i I don't really consider this a spoiler for the book but um that's why a lot of people have given me shit because um the boys never actually say i love you to each other (laughs) um they they argue about it but they never say it and um my response is it used to and again, I'm, this is not a spoiler, but uh, that last chapter with them, it used to end with them saying that to each other. And I argue that it still does, but I changed the actual dialogue. So each of them says something to each other. Well, and while it's not, you know, I love you, it's supposed to mean that. And so what Nate says to Cam for his last line is, know that I'll remember this. And uh, to me, that was a lot more powerful because it's Nate acknowledging that he is joining Cam in the thing that Cam's been alone in his entire life, a.k.a. having to remember stuff that no one else remembers and having to reminisce on stuff and be sad that he's the only one who remembers it. And so that's sort of Nate affirming that Cam's never going to be alone in that. So, again, random shit that no one would ever <laughs> care enough about the book to to uh, dissect out of it without me just completely saying so (laughs) i definitely think that's more powerful too because would you i mean i don't look at deposing nathan as like a romance it's like yeah no so like them not specifically saying like i love you to each other i'm like yeah i mean did you read the story (laughs) yeah no it's i uh, like i get very annoyed honestly when people try and bill it as a romance which not a lot of people have but some people have and I think some people have even heard like the subject material and assumed that it is like <laughs> a very extreme version of enemies to lovers <laughs> or vice versa, I guess. Um, and it's not, it, it, it's a character study of our narrator and talking about all of the influences on his life and how those have shaped who he is. So like Cam is one influence on him, but so is his lovely aunt who i think as you put it should be set on fire (laughs) oh i 100 percent did tweet that yes yes and and like his religion and his um mom who's now deceased and and at the end of the day i basically just wanted to examine how all these things affect him or really any teenager's life and how it shapes their identity which is like the most basic theme of pretty much any young adult that's out there but yeah that's a far cry from a romance in my opinion which is why it never really goes out of its way to be particularly nice to whatever romantic relationship the reader has built up for them in their heads yeah no i think the only time that i was like 
Oh yeah, they're they're being the boys who are like trying to figure out if they like what a bone. Yeah, <laughs> um, is is like uh, I mean, I spoke about this in the the last episode, so I don't know if this is particularly a spoil, but the spoiler, but like boy. <laughs> Boys just being like, yeah, that's like. <laughs> Wasn't that like the first half of the episode or something? You Literally, guys talked no about joke. it. <laughs> I, like for the Sophie was the most like conscious and like paying attention to me when I was talking about that part. And you know, I, I've had that experience before, and I feel like everyone in, in my shoes has. Um, and it's just like, why, why are men like this? Yeah, well, and and I wrote that because, like, whether we like it or not, that is, I don't want to say that's a thing in the sense that that's legitimate, but it's a thing in that that's a thing that I think a lot of people say or think in that situation. Uh, a lot of whether they're genuinely straight or they think they're straight, like, that's, I think that's definitely a common line (laughs) um and so i didn't want to not include it even though it's probably pretty like cliche and i i mean if i'm being honest this is a book packed full of like cliche themes and overdone storylines and my goal is to just show it through a lens of like this is stuff that still happens both the good and the bad like this stuff still goes on and um I wanted to portray that at the end of the day, um, honestly, even if that bumped up against cliche or dark themes or light themes or what have you. I mean, I think specifically their relationship, especially uh, in my experience where someone is like, I guess further along in their journey of like figuring out who they are and the other person like is wildly unwilling to admit it for whatever reason. Um, I I feel like it. I get. Is it a cliche if it's real? Like I don't know. I think it largely depends on the frame used for storytelling. I I think that it has everything to do with like the specific way that your narrator presents it and the things that each scene focuses on. And I mean, I could have spent like ten pages on that bathroom scene and turned it into like oh my god borderline erotica, yeah. And, <laughs> and th- there's no way the rest of the book would have escaped that shadow if that were the case. Um, oh yeah. And the fact uh, that's why I made the very deliberate decision to only make that as dialogue um, because I I didn't want to just cut to black and have you leave you guessing as to what happened because i want to be like hey exactly what you think happened is exactly what happened but um i also didn't want to dwell on it or harp on it um and that was sort of a conscious thing throughout this entire book is um yeah like presenting things that happen in real life but uh, trying to find that border between uh, presenting it authentically, but also presenting it in a way that is quote unquote, well done from like an author's perspective. Cause there's no way you're ever going to actually imitate real life unless you want to inject 15 million ums and uhs into dialogue and stuff like that. Oh yeah. And, the, and um, I, I try to write occasionally. I'm, I'm not an author in any way, shape or form. Um, I respect everyone's craft so much. But oh, if you write, if you write, you're an author. <laughs> I I'm not a good one then. <laughs> that's fair enough. Like that's open to interpretation. Like you're not a published author, and it's debatable whether you're a good author. But I would say you're at least an author if you write. 
Well, thank you. I <laughs> I do write a lot of tweets. Um, <laughs> you author tweets. I am so good at that. <laughs> but uh, no, I I I think the w- the way that oh, I just realized that my book sleeve is on backwards. So I like just went to open the book. I'm like, it's upside down. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I think that the way that it was done in terms of like, here's the thing that you think is going to happen. Also, like, let's move on. It's it's not. I think it was done in a, a very good way, as you were saying. Yeah, well, and it's it's largely about. I mean, I mean, I basically just said this, but but the story you tell changes with how you tell it. Um, and like, I today during my lunch break, I was rereading uh, Adam Silvera's "More Happy Than Not," which is one of my favorite books of all time. And, oh, so you're a masochist. <laughs> well, see, here's what I love about that book, and I have. Uh, well, in terms of Adam Silvera himself as a person and as a lovely human who I've had the pleasure of meeting, he is wonderful, and I'll read anything he writes. That said, uh, like a teacher who's hard on their favorite student, I have mixed and harsh thoughts about each of his individual books. That said, uh, More Happy Than Not is my favorite, and I think it is very distinct from his other works in the sense that it goes to darkly realistic places that I wish his other stuff went to. Um, And, like, for example, there's the scene where, like, um, Aaron and Colin uh, get, like, beaten when they're on the way home on the train or something, which, like, I could have done without that being in the book, but what I appreciate is that it's in the book, but it takes, like, two sentences to happen. It's not like a drawn out three page description because if it were, that would be a different presentation of, you know, it would almost feel less gritty if it went into more gory detail because then it would feel like almost torture porn. Whereas, um, kind of similar to the bathroom thing that I'm talking about, it's just like, it's a very quick, and then this happened and we're moving on. So it's there, but it doesn't linger on it. And I like how well, Adam does that, uh, particularly more happy than not with a lot of the different stuff in there. I know that we're here to talk about your book, but, um, I just want to say that I'm wildly jealous that you have met Adam. He seems like a sweet baby angel that, um, (laughs) is hell bent on making me cry. (laughs) Yeah. He was actually the first author I really ever met. Um, And it's funny because I've met him and I've met Angie Thomas and both have been like so overly sweet to me. I'm just like, why are you doing this? (laughs) Um, Because with him, I met him after I got my agent, but before I got my publishing deal. So it wasn't like, I wasn't like a member of the club yet, so to speak. Like I, I, for all he knew, I was just some other aspiring author and I look about 12. So, uh, oh my he, God. <laughs> he probably thought I was like some little high schooler with a short story I wrote in my notebook. Um, but then I told him, yeah, I'm with small literary studio and we're trying to sell my book. And he was just like, you know, over like, overly enthusiastic like he high fives me he's like oh my gosh you're doing such good work and he was like you know if it ever gets published i'd love to read it and blah 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 and like just you know lots of wonderful stuff and uh he signed my copy of they both die at the end and he just wrote like good luck with your buy book i think it is or something like that so um and now it's like an actual book so that's uh yeah that was very cool (laughs) i literally i (laughs) 
I've always believed to like never meet your like your heroes or like your your like an icon because it it'll never come out the way that you want it to. Mm. And I feel like you just had such a positive like experience with. I can imagine anyone would with Adam, but like, yeah. Well, believe it or not, I had a better one with uh, Angie. That honestly, uh, well, so I'll be quick. Someone. I don't want to derail us too much here, but um, I met Angie at ALA this past year, um, and this was when my book had just been published. So I went to stand in line for her like an hour and a half before the signing because I knew that it was going to be a line pretty much out the door, and it was. And when I like started getting close, I was like hyperventilating because I wanted to tell her very quickly that her book about like speaking out and tackling difficult themes and attaching um, social commentary to a more mainstream and authentic voice. All of that is what helped inspire me to write my thingy. I wanted to say that, but like fast. Oh my God, you're more thingy. Yeah. And, and so I wanted to say all that. And so I got up to her and I, I said a version of that, like, and as soon as I said all that and then i finished with and now i'm an author here who's like doing a signing in that chair tomorrow like she got so excited and she was like are you serious and i'm like yeah and then very quickly i'm like but i promise i'm not trying to like sell you the book or anything and she goes why not (laughs) and and then she goes you need to start selling it or like i'm gonna sell and then she goes watch this. And she turned to her like enormous crown. She goes, Hey everyone, he wrote a book and you should all buy it. And then everyone like erupted into applause. And I legitimately started like crying. (laughs) Oh my God. That sounds amazing. That sounds like, like a movie scene. Like, yeah. Like I'm not being hyperbolic. I had to go to the bathroom and I like cried in one of the songs (laughs) because I'd only been a published author for about three weeks at that point. And I still have days where I don't feel like a published author. I have actually many days where I don't feel like a published author. I, in my brain, I mean, yeah, on one hand, I wrote this and cool or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's just two pieces of cardboard and 400 pieces of paper with words that I wrote in Microsoft Word during a semester of college. Like that, you can put whatever spin on it you want, but that is truly all I did. And there are many days where it doesn't go beyond that in my head. And so I didn't feel like I belonged at ALA. I was there because I had been told that there was a spot for me and a signing for me. And so to have her do that was like, I mean, it was beyond a feeling of like, why are you taking me seriously? And then, holy shit, Angie Thomas is taking me seriously. And I mean, afterwards, she followed me on Twitter and I DM'd her and just said, you probably don't remember me, but just know that this like changed my life. And then she agreed to let me like, mail her a copy of my book and so I did that and it's just I mean to have her treat me with such respect when she has no reason on earth to go above and beyond like that is just I mean I will remember that for the rest of my life and certainly for the rest of my author career I I'm actually curious um after you said like there are some days that I don't feel like a published author Uh when do like when does a an author feel like they're like, like when would they confidently be like, yeah, this is when I, I felt like it, like a published author. Like, where does it begin? The readers, the, uh, the readers sending me their 
thoughts on the book. Um, and let me tell you, I hope this doesn't sound pretentious, but that easily trumps any and all trade reviews I've gotten uh, more than, you know, the Kirkus Star or the New York Times review. Like those were, when I got the news for those, it was like, oh, cool. Some other publication liked my publication. Like, you know, it sort of felt like a, you know, business type of thing. But one of the first reader messages I got back, I tell this story a lot because it's the thing I'm most proud of in my life. Um, I was sitting at my desk and I got a message from someone who'd read an ARC of my book. Um, so I guess they were technically a reviewer, but they weren't like the New York Times or anything. It was uh, um, a smaller reviewer. And it was a message that I later put into Microsoft Word to check the word count, and I think it was it was well over a thousand words. Um, so it was like four pages worth of uh, message, and she basically was talking about all the points in her life in which my book would have helped her, and how I had like vocalized stuff that she had never thought would be vocalized, and just I mean I literally just typed back i said i am crying because <laughs> i was and Aww. she said yeah i sat in a cafe for an hour writing it and then like kept debating whether or not to hit send on it because i don't want to be weird and i mean so that happened and then a couple weeks later after the book came out it happened again from a different person and then again and again and right now i'm sitting at my desk and i'm looking up i have this big collage on my wall of, um, I don't know how many, it's probably like a couple dozen, um, reader messages that were specifically like more than one page long, <laughs> like monologues basically. Um, and I mean, you have to be pretty creative to take more than a page to say you really liked a book. Like they get into characters they liked and personal stories about their life. And um, just there was one girl who wrote her college essay about me and my book and how it affected her. And she sent it to me. And in the email, she said, thank you for saving my life. And it's like, to answer your question, those moments are when I feel like a proper author. And uh, you better believe I don't give a single solitary shit about how many copies I've sold or how many trade reviews I've gotten or what happens from here or any other books I choose to write after that. That is what I was doing for three years. That's why I was querying for 10 years. Like that is what I was working towards. And so as far as I'm concerned, I've already accomplished everything I set out to do. I feel like I want to cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to like make this really heavy or something. No, but no, no, it's fine. It's, I, I it's just like, I will never forget there was one moment where I was like doing the thing that every author does, even if none of them admit to it, where I was like refreshing like sales reports and Goodreads, you know, stars and all that. Like just because it was like a couple days after the book had come out and I was feeling so frustrated Um that I like wanted to like get upset. And then I just like looked up at my wall and saw, I mean, it was like a movie moment where the camera just like zooms in on the little bits of encouraging sentences buried in the like thousands and thousands of words up there. And I, you know, sort of just, I said to myself like, okay, we're going to keep, you know, 
doing what we're doing. We're going to keep trying to promote this and doing bookstore events, even if two people show up and one of them is your friend. <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel like every author is supposed to project the idea that they are just wildly successful right out the gate, especially if their book has good reviews. And my very honest analysis is that my book is uh, quite a bit above average in terms of reviews and quite a bit below average in terms of like sales and just how many people are familiar with it or have heard of it before or know what it's about. And, um, at the end of the day, none of that matters to me in comparison to just even, I mean, even if I never get another reader message again, just the ones I've already gotten are, uh, so much more than I thought I would ever get. <laughs> and I always say on Twitter and to the readers themselves that their messages like, make it all worth it and your support means the world. And I feel so like hackneyed saying that because that's what every author says. But there are some days where that is the only reason I don't like cancel an event that I'm sure not many people are going to show up to or that I choose to continue, you know, promoting it and trying to just keep writing as much as I do. Um, so yeah, readers, it's entirely because of you. <laughs> have you ever watched the Simpsons before? I know this sounds like yes. a weird question. Yeah. So I you have. know that you know, the do it for her wall. Uh, vaguely. <laughs> okay. So there's a, a thing that Homer has at work. That is a built bulletin board. I forget what the original thing is. It's like, you don't get to take something bad from, um, management. Okay. And he pastes pictures of Maggie over the words, so it says, do it for her. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, because every time he's, like, feeling bad about working where he works, he looks up and it's like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so you, ha- you have a, a Homer Simpson do it for her wall. I do, I do, yeah. It's, that's exactly what I have, yeah. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> It's funny, my agent called to ask me about book two back in, like, June, because I think the rule of thumb is you're basically supposed to have your second book basically ready to go by the time your first book releases, and I gave her the news that there was not going to be a book two, not just in the sense that there's no sequel, but I, I, uh, there weren't plans to write again. This was really the only book I ever wanted to write or to put out, and I didn't set out to do this with any interest in building a career or relevance or money or um, making it a principal part of my platform. I did it to write this book and help people, and so as far as I was concerned, by mid-June, I was done with what I'd set out to do, and she stayed on the phone for about three hours to uh, let me know that I was incorrect (laughs) and that in fact we were only just getting started. Um, and you know what I have said to people, because everyone asks me, you know, what's next for you or what's your next book going to be about? And, um, what I always tell them and what I would tell you, if that is one of your questions, I'm not sure, but, um, is that I, don't ever plan to release a book for purely relevance reasons or money reasons or building a platform reasons. I want to only write for the purposes of putting out something that has artistic value and can help people and, you know, not putting it out for any reasons except the right reasons. And so, 
Um, that's a very foolish and naive position that I'm sure I will have completely reversed in the better part of five years. But for right now, that's where my head's at. And so um, I'll finish my second book when I feel it's finished, which it's getting there. But um, yeah, it's uh, that's usually what I tell people. And that's really the only way I can keep going with that's what motivates me, I guess, is my point. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like that wasn't even an answer to a question you were no, asking. No, I feel like fine. I'm just rambling at this point. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I, I always want to ask authors, like, oh, do you think there's another... But, like, that, I feel like that is... For, for, coming from me, I feel like the way of it... I, there's no way for it to not sound like, hey, where the fuck is the next book? Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I never want anyone to feel like that, because it's an art form, and, you know... Um, <laughs> What can I compare this to? Um, Rihanna not putting out music forever because she has other shit to do. Right. And and my agent made the very, very valid counter-argument of, um, well, well, I guess really two counter-arguments. The first being her hypothesis is that uh, regardless of the reasons I write a book, it's going to be good, which I staunchly disagree with. But that's, I think her point is that um, cause I don't want to quote her, but I think her point was that, um, you know, it's possible to set out to put out another book because you are contractually obligated to do so, or because <laughs> you want to pay your bills, but then still be able to inject integrity and, uh, earnestness and value into it. Um, for me, I just, I, I'm not there yet. I can't get there yet. I got to write because I have something to say. And with Deposing Nathan, I said everything I wanted to say, even if it wasn't apparent from this tiny little orange 400-page rambling mess that I'll never be entirely happy with, but I've gotten to a place where I'm mostly happy with it. Um yeah, it's I, I can't get to the point where I'm just writing to fill orders or fulfill a contract. Um, which, to be clear, I am not under contract, so it's not like I'm breaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I'm I'm placing artistic value above the law. Um, but that that's why. And again, probably ninety nine percent of folks in the community, even folks who are very friendly with me, are shaking their heads and think that I'm being an idiot like that. And to which I say, well, then I'll realize it on my own eventually. <laughs> I feel like I'm the same way. And I obviously know that this is not the same thing, but like I've always been, my parents always tell me that I should be a wedding photographer okay. because it makes money. And they're only just looking out for like my financial future. Yeah. I understand it. And I always say like, well, I don't want to do it because it's like not, my thing. Like I don't, I don't do photography just to make money. Right. Like I understand what you're saying where it's like, yeah, maybe in the future I'll be like, well, I should have done that, but it's like, uh, no one can tell me that because I have to figure that out myself. But also I completely understand not wanting to just like churn things out just to churn things out. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the debate, isn't it? It's like, um, cause we don't live in a perfect space perfect world or perfect society where it's entirely black and white the way I'm presenting it. It's not like, you know, <laughs> I wrote to Posing Nathan to try and help people and, um, you know, to generate 
some fraction of the reaction summarized in all of the emails currently hanging up on my wall. But I also wrote it because I thought like it might be a good platform for me to be a published author. And I'm not going to pretend that like <laughs> that isn't, you know, a part of the thrill. Um, and by the same token, there is, uh, to be clear, there is absolutely no shame at all in writing or doing photography or any art to pay bills. Like, that's why most people do oh, it. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm, I am not kidding when I say I, I'm probably being foolish in my stance of not doing it that way. But because I can afford to do it that way, because I'm privileged enough to not depend on it for a paycheck or for... Um, any of the other stuff typically associated with, as you said, it sort of churning out books. Um, I think it's sort of that debate where ultimately, I mean, like I, there were even design sacrifices I made with Deposing Nathan, where I sacrificed um, probably one or two percent of my quote unquote artistic integrity, like the way I saw it in my vision and in the way that I thought would make it perfect to give it like more broad appeal. Like the cover's bright, not because I wanted it to be, but because they thought it would attract more eyes. That's an example of like everybody in this business, including me makes trade-offs with, you know, artistic integrity versus staying afloat in every sense possible. <laughs> oh yeah. I actually, so I really like the, uh, I, I think orange is an obnoxious color. This isn't meant to be like a ding, so please don't take it that way. Oh, no, I, I agree. love the op- <laughs> the obnoxious color of this book. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah, it's uh, it was that or hot pink, and I wanted it <gasps> to not be hot pink because. Oh my god! Yeah, I wanted it to find its way either accidentally or intentionally into the hands of uh, straight guys or even guys who's were not out to their parents or girls or uh non-binary folks pretty much anybody who was not comfortable uh bringing home overtly queer books to their households i wanted a cover that was not overtly queer which there are an enormous number of opinions on that subject um, in fact, I think Adam Silvera tweeted about that a couple weeks ago, um, asking people's opinions because it sounded like he was trying to make a decision with the paperback release of one of his books. And I replied to him and just mentioned that, uh, more happy than not is one of my favorite book covers in young adult LGBT, LGBT literature, because it's queer enough to, you know, it's not inauthentic to the story, but it's not overtly, well, anything. It's abstract, which I think is the best representation for that. And so, um, yeah, the cover, we went through like eight covers because it was a huge back and forth on what we wanted it to be. And my publisher was enormously generous with the amount of rope they gave me and a number of times they allowed me to veto things before I couldn't really veto things anymore. (laughs) I think you're the first person that I've I've spoken to about like the cover of the, but like the process of picking the book. Um, I interviewed a, um, a person who is like republishing books that, um, are basically like lost to time that are part of like queer history, if you will. Um, uh-huh. and they're called requeered tales and they 
find authors who books whose books are out of circulation that have been around for a while. And they talk about like the guy was talking about how he lives in like the middle of America and he's not always like super comfortable carrying around a book that has like a half naked dude on it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I guess because I'm like, I don't, I don't live in a city, but like, I guess because, uh, I haven't had to like think about it in so long. Um, that it's not something I think of. And I, I think the idea of make, making a book cover something that isn't like an adherent or inherently here or there in terms of like how it presents is a very smart way to get, uh, to have books safely land in the hands that they need to be in. Yeah. Well, and that's part of a whole other, much larger debate with like just queer media as a whole, where it's like on one hand, you, want that overtness to exist somewhere because you want that boundary pushing and you want that in places where like there's people who need to see that. And, um, so it's not like, I think every book should, um, do it the way I did it or the way more happy than not did it. But, um, yeah, come to think of it, really all of Adam Silvera's book covers or all of his standalone ones are, what my ideal book cover is where it's like, it's not hard to guess the subject matter if you look at it and if you read the description, but, um, it's also not like so in your face that it risks people not being comfortable carrying it around or seeing it because to me, and again, this might be an uninformed opinion, but, um, my opinion is it's a book cover. Um, it's not worth risking, something like if, if you don't feel comfortable bringing it into your household, I wouldn't want someone to risk bringing it into their household anyway, over a cute looking design. If that makes sense. Like I would rather the book cover be minimalist, um, and then feel safe if we have to err on one side of that debate or the other, but it is, uh, it is a big debate. Yeah. And I, I appreciate both sides of it because I know that there is a very fine line of like, uh, where people land. And I, I've always felt that being queer is like the most punk rock thing that you could be. And that, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, you know, just being yourself is an act of defiance, honestly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I understand like what you're saying where it's like, yes, it should be this, but also like, I understand this. So it's, it's a really interesting conversation and not one that I actually thought would come up when, uh, talking about this book. <laughs> yeah yeah no it's sorry i didn't mean to derail if you had like an actual oh set gosh, of questions no, love, that you like <laughs> i love more conversations go like this because it, it i write down a few questions and sometimes that i don't even ask them uh-huh. um and sometimes authors like help me drive if you will <laughs> and um i actually love conversations that are you know the realistic they they go where they go without um specific prodding sometimes yeah, I'm ridiculously chatty, so uh, you'll be there'll be no shortage of me offering answers to questions you didn't even ask. <laughs> no, and that, I think uh, when I, I just finished editing uh, an episode with Paul Katcha. Okay, and um, I'm not joking. Sophie and he start talking about um, some kind of like island television show where it's like you go there as a couple and it's like meant to like break you and if you stay to the end with your your significant other you win money and they spoke about america's next top model i respect all forms of conversation (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
But um, I think the one question I did want to ask you, why? so the person I wanted to set on fire in this book, why, why is she so evil? A <laughs> couple reasons, because that's a very good question. And I will say on a more serious note, um, that's not a decision I made lightly. Um, I didn't just write because I thought it would be an entertaining uh, form of subject matter. Um, the pretentious literary answer is she and Nate's mother represent the duality of God as presented in the Bible versus um, interpreted by uh, evangelical Christians of today, where it's like you have a God that on one hand is very kind and loving and forgiving and accepting. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that you want out of a religious deity but then um on the other side there is vengeful and you should be afraid and wrathful and vindictive and you must bow to submission and uh do exactly as i say because i love you and if you step out of line i will destroy and burn you but it's because i love you and you know that authoritarianism i thought well one was very relatable to teenagers, uh, to some teenagers, not all teenagers, but to some, uh, two was an interesting theme to explore in a book about exploring identity and how that shapes you. And then three, I wanted to tie that back. So like Nate's mother represents the kinder side of God that he is looking to seek out. And then his aunt Lori represents the more vengeful, vindictive side. And I mean, at the end of the day, I can spout all this pretentious bullshit at you, but the themes in this book <laughs> are not complicated. The themes are that uh, trying to suppress who you are doesn't work. Authoritarianism as a parenting style does not work, which is what everybody has known during their teenage years, as long as teenagers have existed. Um, so those themes are not complicated. But uh, again, I wanted to sort of portray the intersection of all of those and how they help shape identity. Um, and that's why, like when Nate's during the graveyard scene, that's why he's uh, speaking to his mother, because he's trying to reach the more loving side of God. And um, at the end of the book, again, this is not really a spoiler, but at the end of the book, um, when he says his last prayer to God, what he says is, I'm still here, are you? And it says he hears two words, but we don't know what they are. Um, and I'll just tell you, um, what he hears uh, is God's name, uh, as spoken to Moses in the book of Exodus. Uh, and those words are, I am. And so the book as a whole puts the main character through a lot of really rough shit, both with religion and at home. And then in both cases, I think he emerges out the other side stronger and with a grip on his life for the first time, uh, including and especially before he met Cam. And so um, I think it was the author, Sean David Hutchinson, who talks about this, who's mentioned this on Twitter before. Um, I'm almost positive it was him. He said the reason he explores dark material in some of his books is because he wants to show he wants to reach out to teenagers who might be going through that. And that's exactly why I included this too, is I wanted a book that would walk into the dark with teenagers and then show that it is possible and in fact, joyful to walk back out. I literally am so thankful that I'm getting to have this conversation with you because I truly want to like go back and reread this book now <laughs> with like the information that I've been given. Um, I feel like I appreciate, and it's weird to say, I appreciate his aunt's character more now. Um, yeah. 
people, versus when sorry. I was just like, well, you're the worst. <laughs> it's funny. People have reacted very strongly to her. And first and foremost, I want to say I'm not diminishing anybody's, you know, if, if they found that subject matter difficult, uh, especially if it was rooted in personal memories or experience, I don't mean to minimize that, but part of it is like people, you know, like you said, she should be set on fire and lots of people will post reviews that are like all caps. Like I want to run her over and destroy her. And I read them. I'm just like, Jesus Christ guys. Like it's, you know, and again, I don't mean to minimize, but my, my knee jerk reaction, I'm like, it's just a character I created. Like it's, it's, I took it very seriously when I wrote it and I can't even begin to, contemplate how many hours I spent um, watching documentaries about uh, psychological child abuse or reading interviews or first-hand accounts from people who have been through it. Because again, um, I feel like a lot of people are too polite to ask, but to answer the unspoken question, uh, I have never been through anything like that. My parents are wonderful. Um, And so... To portray, I wanted to portray that properly and with integrity and without a sugar-coated ending. But yeah, there was a lot of thought and meaning in it beyond just, I want to create someone that you love to hate. <laughs> um, and, and I was a little surprised that people reacted so as powerfully and strongly as they did. Um, I mean, I'm glad that they reacted strongly to something I wrote, but... Um, in hindsight, I-, I was not expecting that visceral of a reaction from people. I think because you wrote it in s- such a way, like it, you have a very like strong writing style. Thank I, you. Of course, yeah. Um, I I feel like the way that she's written is just like this is written so well, but it's so bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, it's, don't get me wrong, in a very dark sense, I don't want to say I had fun writing those chapters, because I did not, but it was not... If you did, I would would question it. It was not boring, is what I'll say. Like, there's a difference between the, uh, gotta write 50 pages about him, like, doing cute stuff with his girlfriend, and, like time to write the one paragraph showing that she's, like, destroyed his homecoming ticket or something, like... It's just different in a way that um, it's almost like a car accident. It's like you, as the author, and it sounds like as the readers, it's hard to look away from, even though it's like not enjoyable or fun in any sense of those definitions. I feel like it's a really good test of a reader to be like, well, how did you feel about her? Oh, you liked her. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's like people. I've heard that you're supposed to run if somebody says on a first date that their favorite character is Walter White from Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Yeah, my yeah. favorite character is Nancy Botwin. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh, I, lo- <laughs> I love. Well, so I don't love Nancy so much as I love Mary Louise Parker because her acting in Weeds is just like phenomenal. Superb. Yeah. Oh truly. my gosh, I love her. I love her. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite character. I have a, my favorite writer is Aaron Sorkin, but that's like, he writes a number of characters. And I think that a lot of his characters have really powerful actors or actresses behind them. Like Allison Janney in the West Wing or, um, Jessica Chastain in Molly's Game and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I feel like I am that person in Mean Girls. It's like, I just love everyone and I want (laughs) everyone to have cake. 
that's me when someone's like, who's your favorite author? I'm like, don't do that. Please, please don't. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. No, truly. I would <laughs> just start naming people and it would just be like, you've just named everyone. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I didn't read all that much YA before I wrote this book. I've read a ton of it since then. <laughs> but I probably had like one total shelf full of... Um, YA that I had read before this book, other than, like, school stuff, obviously. I have so much at this point. I, I joke that when I go into Barnes & Noble, I black out, uh-huh. um, <laughs> which is like Target. You go into Target, and Target tells you what you're getting. Exactly, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it's like, I I literally tell myself, I'm like, oh, I'll just get one book, or I'm, like, going in to get someone else a gift. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, if I'm going to get something, you have to spend more on them than on yourself. Yeah. And it's just, like, this, like, bad habit that, like, I've gone from having one shelf to going, okay, if I get rid of my desk, I can fit another shelf in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can probably count on one hand how many young adult LGBT books I read before writing Posing Nathan. I think it was like Simon Versus, Openly Straight, um, Been Here All Along, um, had not read anything by Adam Silvera at that point. Um, that might be it. That might be it. I had not read very Oh, uh, Aristotle and Dante was the other one. Oh my god, thank god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Yeah, I guess it was just those four. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, pretty much as soon as I got done writing this, I started reading everything the genre had to offer, since I figured I should know what I'm doing before I, like, query it and stuff. But yeah, I hadn't even heard of Adam Silvera till I got my agent. I jokingly picked up History is All You Left Me, and this sounds, this sounds weird, uh-huh. but I read the description, and I must have, like, not read it fully or, like, well enough, and I was like, oh, his ghost boyfriend is, like, <laughs> sending him messages and then I like read it again when I brought it home and I was like oh my god this is like really profound why am I such an idiot um yeah it's, it's so good yeah that was my first uh, Adam Sarah book as well which I would have trouble ranking my favorites but that's definitely up there and then I read they both die at the ends and then I believe uh more happy than not is actually the last one of his that I wrote which might be why it knocked me on my ass because I, like I said, his later stuff is good, but it's not anywhere near as dark. It doesn't cover anywhere as uh, difficult or heavy of themes. Um, And so when I picked up more happy, like the reason I had, uh, held off from reading it for a while is because it was like, oh, they alter his memory, so what, like a, a science fiction book? Like, I I mean, I don't really like science fiction very much, so um, I wasn't super interested in it. And then I read it and, like, was sobbing. And to this day, it is my second favorite book of all time in any genre. I think I read More Happy Than Not last. Okay. Um, and that, I think I read They Both Die at the End in, like, the middle, because I read History is All You Left Me, They Both Die at the End, and then I think, um, his, uh, More Happy Than Not, and it, it, I can definitely see what you're talking about, because, uh, More Happy is, it, 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 it doesn't seem like a book that's going to, like, mentally ruin you, and that it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I... I, I respect that, and I, I have I would not be able to rate uh, most of the books that I've read by like any author. Like I absolutely adore Caleb Rorig. Um, oh, same. 
I truly, so I'm not even kidding. I think I said to Sophie, I was like, oh, maybe you should read this book because Caleb Rohrig suggested it and she likes Caleb as well. And she was like, oh, he's such a good bean. It's probably, it, I need to. Like, yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, no, it's, he, he's, uh, he's very, very nice. I haven't, he's one of the ones I have not met in person yet. I've met some of my online friends in person this year, but he's not one of them, but I'm looking forward to, uh, I think he might be at the, um, NCTE conference, uh, in a couple of weeks. So yeah, he's wonderful and was one of my main supporters during my debut year, along with Bill Konigsberg has sent me like many emails of wonderful advice and, uh, yeah. Again, any any established authors showing me like respect and support that just they don't need to is still just very sweet to me, and I fully intend to pass it on if ever given the opportunity. I think Caleb Rorig is um, a fever dream that we're all having because <laughs> he seems unreal. Yes, and um, I have never wanted a drag queen adventure book more than when he just mentioned it uh-huh. before death before his blondes came out. And I was like, Oh, um, who do I have to beat up to get this book? <laughs> and he's a perfect person to write that too. Oh my God. Yeah. And truly I'm, I am always in complete and utter awe of authors in general. Um, because especially like when I was growing up, we didn't have books, especially like deposing Nathan like I, I would have never imagined reading a book like this when I was a teenager or like in general. Um, and the YA field has really opened up so much and we're getting so much more representation and we don't, I, I haven't read a lot of books in, in, uh, the time that I've been doing the podcast where the main character is by, um, it, it seems like a lot of the books that I've, I've been able to find are it's, um, is just uh, gay, I would say. Um, (laughs) And finding anything that is other than that is, I think a little bit more difficult. Um, And I think that's another thing that like made me like deposing Nathan so much um, is because it's, it's a different, completely different storyline than anything I've read before. And also it's not the same kind of like formula, if you will. Yeah, well, and I definitely didn't see a lot of, um, I mean, I would still struggle to name a lot of bi main characters in young adult LGBT books. And I guess I should clarify, what I mean by that is, um, to me, there's really two types of bi characters, um, and they're both good. But the first is the kind you see a lot of, where they mention it in passing, but it's not really like... uh, touched on very much. So like Theo in Histories All You Left Me, um, it's he mentions that he's bi. And I think there is like one snippet of dialogue where like um, Griffin says like, oh, you'll meet some other cute guy. And Theo's just like, or girl or whomever, because I'm bi or whatever. And then that's like it. And, you know, to me, speaking as someone who didn't used to think they were bi and then one day realized they were, um, that doesn't cut it when it comes to representation in the sense that matters. Um, and you could apply that, this argument to any and every marginalized, um, form of representation in 
the community as a whole, uh, whether it has to do with race or religion or sexuality or gender. Just mentioning in passing is not a bad thing, but it's not the same thing as having a character who lives and openly represents that. And even in this book where I worried about it getting a little preachy at times because the characters are literally yelling talking points at each other about bisexuality. And I, on one hand, I wanted to try and avoid being preachy, but on the other hand, I thought it was more important um, to make sure those were in there and have people having an intelligent and honest debate about it. Um, and what I always like to say is I'm not trying to tell readers or teenagers or anyone what to think, but I am trying to ask the question of how they're thinking. And, um, you know, some people have said my book takes a particular stance, either politically or from a religious aspect or whatever. And while certainly that's true in one sense, it's more... Um, trying to properly represent everything that it presents and then letting you, the reader, make whatever informed decisions you want about any of the topics, if you so care to. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like that was just such a succinct, like, very well explanation that I'm just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, sorry, I feel like I'm rambling just to hell and back right now, so no, I... <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I, I truly appreciate it, because, I mean, you're you're here to talk about your book. I, you know, I, I can't imagine how many times you've been asked the questions that I've asked you already, but um, I appreciate, especially, you know, you're leading the conversation as I, as I think as you should. And it's, it's interesting because I, I appreciate how much you care about a answering the question and also, um, you know, giving me responses that I, I don't normally get from people. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's like on one hand, I feel very self-centered repeating answers that I have said in other interviews, like my wall full of emails. I've probably told that story like five or six times now, but the thing is, it's like, I have to recognize that like the interviewer, if they're asking me, it probably means they haven't already read the answer somewhere else. So like, there's always going to be new people and I'm just getting used to that whole thing of like, anytime I like, even just giving the same pitch for my book every time I, it almost feels inauthentic, just like spouting off a memorized thing. But that's kind of how it is. That that falls on the very enormously long list of a thousand things that they should warn you goes with the territory of becoming a published author who needs to solve product. But no one ever really does warn you of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Especially, you know, if, if you're quote-unquote elevator pitch is if it's perfect the way it's it's done like why fix it and also like i haven't heard specifically like that elevator pitch or about your wall of emails which i really love um i've slowly been becoming the person that like loves really positive like uh memes and stuff and like things like that uh the wall of emails like i really adore that um as I've gotten older, which I, I guess I used to like look at things like that where it's like, you can do it like written in red lipstick on a mirror. I'm like, Oh, that's so dumb. And now I'm like, no, I, I get it. Oh, uh, well for what it's worth, I meme way more than I should to the annoyance of I'm sure every person on twitter.com. And <laughs> if you go to my website under the about me section, there becomes a drop down, and the drop down contains one item, I believe at the bottom where it belongs, where it says garbage meme gallery, and it is a thread 
of specifically all of the tweets I've put out this year containing memes about writing that I've made myself. Uh, one of them is the most famous I've ever been on Twitter. I struggle. Oh, it's about second book syndrome. Um, I would describe it, but it would take way too long to describe. But if you're ever curious, you can go there and I need to update it. Actually, I need to update everything on my website. <laughs> you need to update it with the milk tweet. Yes, I do. That, that would very much, well, that's not really, a, I mean, it's not about writing or meme, but like I want it to be <laughs> specifically with the picture of the guy covered in like very viscous milk. Yes. Um, in the refrigerator, I saw that, that gif and I was like, what, what is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, oh man, WordPress is doing me real dirty. So apparently if you go to that page now, I just pulled it up. It just contains the hyperlinks to <gasps> my tweets, uh, but it doesn't embed the tweets or maybe it does. Hang on. I can't tell if it's loading. I have or not. a feeling that oh, wait, you're going to be able to, I was going to say, I have a feeling that you're going to be able to fix that out of spite. Yeah. I feel no. like you did that with a program recently. <laughs> I did, I did, but that was for my event schedule. Ah, yes, that's what it was. Yes, yeah, WordPress didn't include a plugin that didn't cost an enormous amount of money to uh, create a table, so I just... MATLAB is not the ideal program to use to create an app that'll do that, but uh, that's what I was left with. So, it, I mean, it took me, like, what, three or four hours, but now I never have to break into HTML script to update my event page ever again, so... Yeah, that is so smart. I took a, a website building class when I was in college, and I got graded on it. And like, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm not proud of what I made, and I oh, okay. quickly deleted that website. As you can probably tell, I every part of my website is designed by me, so it's that's why the colors feel vaguely off. <laughs> I kind of love that though. Yeah, I'm just not good at that kind of. You know, I don't have an artistic eye. Did you see the cake I made? No. I Wait, where can I find this cake? Um, so either my Instagram or my, if you want to go to that meme page, I'm looking at it now. It's like the second to last one. I think you'll appreciate it, given oh that God. you liked the milk thing. I I feel like a monster for literally laughing. Oh, so you're totally hard fine. I was, I was pissing myself laughing once I got done being sad. <laughs> That sounds, I, that is, oh, I, I see the pumpkin. I'm on your Instagram now. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, let me, let me look on my Instagram. I can help guide you. Um, is so it yeah. the Pokemon one? It's the one right next to red, white, and Royal blue. Like the one right before that. Wait, that is a cake. No, oh, no, no. So go. click it, click it. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. There's more. <laughs> no, the, wait, you did this. Well, so did you look at both? <laughs> Yes. Wait, you did... So you made that cake? It's a posing. Oh, yeah. So you are looking at the right one. The one with the Snapchat caption that says, oh, Christ. Yes. I mean, I think that's still a level of skill that I don't have. <laughs> Everyone, just... if you want to follow along with us, we're on Zach's Instagram, and it's Zach underscore Smedley. And it's, I literally... It's, it's supposed to be a book. It's not square-shaped. <laughs> I literally thought the first picture was, was the cake. It says deposing. <laughs> Because I couldn't like, fit the letter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good cake. <laughs> Deposing Nathan. Well, yeah, and then I tweeted a couple days later. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of proud of this one. It was like, like I tweeted, and it was like, Aunt Lori, 
dragging on a cigarette. Y'all be- best get done with, and then below that is a picture that says Deposed Nathan. Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, sorry, I'm, you can totally cut this story if you don't have time, but this is a quick one. Um, when we sold audio rights uh, for the book um, back in like March, my agent uh, said, yeah, um, we sold it to Audible, and they said, if you have any uh, requests for like production notes or something, send those to them, and they'll try and incorporate them. And she said, also, they want to know how strong the Southern accents should be. And I was like, the what? <laughs> and she says, it's in West Virginia, right? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, Zach, people in West Virginia have Southern accents. I'm like, no, they do not. <laughs> I say that like I had ever been to West Virginia, which I hadn't been. And so I like, I was like, no, 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 no. My, my characters don't have Southern accents. No, 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 no. Like, they, they, and she was like, well, what accents did you picture with it? I'm like, my accent, no accent. Like <laughs> I was like freaking out and I was worried that they were about to turn this into like, uh, a, like a cast full of Southern accents. So I like went on YouTube to prove her wrong. And I typed West Virginia accent into YouTube and I pulled up the video and the person goes like my name. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I literally don't think of West Virginia and go, oh, yeah, definite accent. And Thank uh, you. Like, yeah. So, so, so in, I, I, I shit you not, in the production notes, I think I put in all caps, I said, no Southern accents. <laughs> and then I put, like, an asterisk on there saying, I, like, I realize that this may not be correct to the location, but my biggest and really only request is no Southern accents. <laughs> I get like, told all the time that I have an accent, and I'm like, what is a New Jersey accent? And I get told I say water instead of water. Do and you? I'm like, I say water, but I just, I, I pronounce the T like a D, like a human being. <laughs> but I get told all the time that I say water. Water. By my one, yeah, water by my one friend. And they, they have the gall to say this to me when they say pop instead of soda. So you oh, know okay. what? Yeah, that's, that's, I don't do that. It's my, my relatives in Wisconsin do that, but I do not do that. Yeah, it's, well, and I just, I mean, Maybe someday I'll write a book that specifically takes place in the South. But, like, this one didn't. And uh, to me, it just became a whole different book. If you picture Aunt Lori just like, what you and that boy been up to these days? Like, I can't. <laughs> Get in here, boy. I need to talk to you. No, I, would, I wouldn't take it as seriously. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. That, But that was funny where my agent was laughing openly at me over the phone she was just like yeah people in west virginia have southern accents like at least some of them and i mean i was pulling up like maps and stuff i'm like okay this is like two hours dc if you go like the scenic route like there's no way but yeah what do i know i've still never been so i still don't really know the answer to that i feel like if i i i would only be able to write about places that i've like lived in Mm-hmm. Um, but like people who are like, yeah, I wrote about this place. I'm like, have you been in there? And they're like, no, I had a friend help me out. I'm like, how? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is people, just as they assume I'm religious, they assume that I'm from West Virginia and they like, I've even had some people get like almost aggressive about it where they're like, wait, you're not from West Virginia. I'm like, no. And they're like, well, then why would you put it in West Virginia? Why, why wouldn't you write it from where you're from? I'm like, 
one because I didn't have to. But, uh, because I'm the author and well, I decided where it fucking went. <laughs> well, it's and it wasn't a, a baseless decision. I did it because I wanted somewhere that was clearly more conservative, um, but not cartoonishly conservative like Alabama. And th- this was had nothing to do with the like a message or anything. It was because um, the process for the deposition was dictated by that state's um, code with regards to criminal depositions. And I was already limited because in 99% of the time, depositions are only taken for civil cases and they're only done in the rare um, instances for criminal cases in like one or two, three conditions being met. One of them being if the person is relocating, which is why it's relocating. But um, the West Virginia laws specifically define um, stabbing in a different category of assault as the Maryland state laws. And so I basically just studied the West Virginia code and it was a good fit for the story I wanted to write. So that's what I used as my like basis to the point where I have like saved map uh, trips from like the um, West Virginia attorney general's office to like where Nate would roughly live to Ohio and all that jazz. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, 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 because I'm not, fr- I, I guess the South, <laughs> because uh, West Virginia is the South. Um, I don't know, like specifically, like where, like places are more conservative or not. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since, like, I live very close to New York in terms of like I'm a state away from it. Uh, so I guess where I am, there are very conservative places in New Jersey, but like I've just like danced around them. Um, but I, I get another thing that I am really glad that I got to talk to you about because I, I didn't specifically think like, Oh, it was placed here because of blank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, there's pretty much no decision made that went into the book that was not very, very deliberate. Um, it's, I tell this story a lot too, but, um, the first draft of the book is identical almost scene for scene to the published version. Um, We did almost no editing on the book. So that said, I sat with it every night for the better part of two years with a red pen, and what I was fixing were little words or commas or um, specific uh, phrases that one character might use but another might not. And I even got annoyed with my publisher because on publication day, I can point to probably five or six sections in the book where um, they removed commas because the commas were not grammatically correct. And it's like, yeah, I know. I put them in there for a specific reason to establish a specific rhythm of the dialogue that's being spoken. And now you ruined it by making it <laughs> grammatically correct. Like, what are you, an editor? <laughs> I'm sure that if it had been left in there, you definitely, w- someone would have been like, well, actually, on page 63, you know, it's not grammatic. Of course, I. Oh, yeah. I, feel- I, I mean, I get that shit all the time anyway, because there's a ton <laughs> of, there's a, t- a ton of stuff that, was deliberate, but it's all too easy uh, for people to reasonably think that it was not deliberate. And even, I will say, what what I loved about listening to you guys' episode about the book is you weren't afraid to be critical of it. Like you were saying, like, the character of Arya didn't really work for you, and, like, the party scene was, like, weird and cliched and stuff like that. And I enjoyed listening to that because, first of all, I agreed with most of it. Like, there are some things in there that are just cliched, and that's, you know, 
I'll fully admit to that. But then there's other stuff where it's like certain actions or mannerisms uh, were in there very specifically to indicate stuff. So like, I think you guys were nitpicking, sorry, I don't mean that in a negative way. Oh, but no, like, you're fine. You were nitpicking how like she was like uh, perfectly good with like giving Cam alcohol, but was like upset with Nate having it. And that was a very deliberate decision to show um how she's starting to like that sort of foreshadowing as to like she brought them together and made them better friends and even um during one of the like football games or something she encouraged them to talk or whatever but then this is the beginning of the end right where like things are about to derail for everybody in the group and uh, she is sort of starting to sense that, like, okay, maybe this is, you know, maybe they're a little too close. Maybe this is getting a little out of hand. And um, the, it, I think it makes a mention in there of, like, also her anxiety is, like, she's grappling for control of that during the evening. But, like, yeah, I have a whole, like, it's a couple sheets of paper long. Like, I have a whole folder on her and like a packet of like her specific mannerisms uh, well in every chapter but including in that chapter and um uh yeah those were like uh whether you liked them or not those were very like deliberate uh so it's really interesting to hear other people's reactions to specific stuff like that rather than just i loved this whole book or i hated this whole book yeah and i feel like I, I try to be as positive as possible when I'm, like, talking about someone's book, especially to the person. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that Sophie's always really good at being like, well, what about this? And I think that that, that was the only thing that I was like, oh, this thing could, like, could have been different. But, like, again, hearing you explain, like, oh, well, this is, like, specifically a thing, it's just... It's very interesting because I, my teachers in school have always been like, okay, well, you're not always going to be there to explain the thing to the person, <laughs> but at the same time, like the person should have enough knowledge or like try to look into things themselves. I, I, I think I literally have to reread this book now. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I wrote it in a way that was almost meant to be a little bit subversive where it's like, I wanted it to be very clearly intriguing enough where it's like, okay, there's stuff going on here. There is a message to be gleaned from this. But then I also wanted to inject it with a lot of stuff where that's why I call them Easter eggs is because it's like, if you do look into it, like anytime you see a phrase repeated on a page more than once, I guarantee you it's repeated exactly three times. Um, and there's even one part, it's in chapter 64 when it is having the dinner conversation with his dad. Um, and if you look at just the dialogue, he says out loud, he says, it's not. And then in his head, he thinks if this is how it is, that's fine, but don't pretend that it's not. And then he repeats out loud. He says, it's not. So that's three repetitions of it. No one's ever going to notice that, but, um, I, I thought it was important to include it, to still include it, um, because, well, that's the kind of author I want to be, and that's those are the kind of books I want to write. I want them to be more than just entertainment or superficial messages. I want them to be full of stuff that no one will ever see, full of little Easter eggs and symbols that no one will ever notice. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, there is a reason this was originally meant to be the only book I ever wrote, and I remind myself that 
you know, even if it is the only book I ever write, um, there is a lot I managed to pack into it that despite years of thinking it was not a good book, um, I've arrived at a place where I'm a little bit proud of it. (laughs) It's hard to specifically have like your work in front of you for a long time and not want to like literally like, I don't want to say tear to shreds, but like, especially as like you sit with it for longer, it's like, well, I could have changed this or I could have done that. I feel like my teachers always taught us to like do that to our work. And I feel like at a certain point it's like, no, 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 no. I I have to be proud of this thing that I did because it's, it, it was a lot. And I feel like you did, you did pack a lot of stuff into, you know, a span of a 400 page book. And I, I think there's a lot in here that people would relate to. And I feel like it's a, very special book and it's very different than um anything i've read especially with like you talking about like the the <laughs> it it's very nice to have an author that like is very passionate about like this specific like their baby like it it's amazing oh thank you yes um i i literally don't have any other questions for you and i feel <laughs> like i'm just gonna continue to make it like to ramble myself but is there anything that like you would want to leave like with the reader uh, or to like say like, Hey, go get this book. Um, there's plenty, but I feel like I said most of it already. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> want you to feel like you're repeating yourself. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, there's only so many times I can say, Hey, there is more to this book than meets the guy. Or I promise there's something in there for everyone. You know, first of all, I can't make that guarantee. And second of all, um, Rarely, if ever, does spouting that kind of shit actually move units. Because <laughs> everyone says that about their book, right? Like, everyone, even these days with blurbs, you see them, what does every blurb say? You know, it says, astounding, breathtaking, a remarkable debut, you know? And on one hand, it's very hard to come up with new blurbs and stuff. But on the other hand, I am feeling the, throughout this whole year, I've been feeling the whole, um, I guess, concept of, like, you can't convince people that you've written a good book if they don't already believe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, there's no amount of amount of me like trying to sell it to someone that I feel is going to work beyond telling them what's in it. Um, and beyond that, if you want to read it, then great. I am honored. Uh, feel free to reach out and message me. I love hearing from readers. Um, but if you read it and hated it, that's an option too. There have been a few YouTubers. Uh, really? Well, so most most YouTubers have loved it, and there's uh, particularly one. Um, I believe her channel is called Boston Reads Books. Her name is Boston. Um, and the joke for a while is that um, she would like sneak deposing Nathan into every video she did for like six months um, because she really, really <laughs> liked it, and I was just flattered by that um but then um there there have been a few i don't want to call it anyone particular youtuber it wasn't anyone like whose name is easily recognizable but um i stopped myself on the internet and i think there was one youtube video i saw of someone who like held the book and they were like yeah parts one and two were like gripping and uh i was on the edge of my seat and, you know, I thought that this was going to be a five-star read for me. And then part three was just, eh. 
and then they throw the book over their shoulder. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and then they're like, "It's clear the author didn't know where they were going with this," which had me like laughing through the notches I was eating as I was watching this. Because <laughs> like I always expected the book would tank critically. I-, I thought that, like I said, it would be too religious for LGBT folks and too queer for religious folks, and everybody would just uh, dislike it. And so, and I mean, again, that kind of stuff is funny to me because, like, part three, in case I didn't beat you over the head with the metaphor, is meant to represent the Garden of Eden, which is uh, why they end up naked, but they don't touch each other, and um, that's why they are, like, experiencing the freedom of the woods and stuff, and that's why it quickly cuts the book of Revelation to symbolize that the beginning of the day is, like, the beginning of the Bible, and the end of the day is, like, the end of the Bible to complete the story and all that jazz. So, like, yeah. I knew where I was going with that. <laughs> but, of course, you know, I am truly just honored by anybody who reads it, and there is no review uh, so negative that has made me, like, the least bit upset, to be honest with you. That, that sounds like bullshit, because every author probably says that and then is secretly livid about the bad reviews, but I, I, I'm just honored that people are reading it and thinking whatever they think of it, because that's all I really wanted. <laughs> I'm I'm still stuck on the person throwing the book over their shoulder. Actually, sorry, I know I've been talking for like two hours now, but I have one more like pretty good story for you. So um, I really wish we had a video component to this so you could follow along. I would pull up the screen, but I'll just describe it. So I have a bunch of Google alerts for me in my book, because again, I stalk myself on the internet. And there was one where it said, hey, a YouTuber in like Chechnya made a video about your book. And I was like, oh, okay. And I couldn't tell what the title of the video was because it was in Chechnyan, <laughs> which is not a real language. But um, um, I, I don't remember what language the title was in, but it was not English. So I watched it, and it was a screen-recorded thing. And it was a, like, minute-and-a-half-long video, and it starts with the screen recording, and then they pull up a, um, like, gallery of books. And then I realize, uh, and they scroll through, and sure enough, mine, like, passes by on the screen. And so I'm like, oh, this is a tutorial for how to pirate books, and my book is among the many that was like that you saw go by on the screen when she was scrolling. Oh my gosh! And that's what it was. Is it was it was a a tutorial of like from start to finish. It shows uh, this woman like go on a website like freeepub.com or something, and then she scrolls through. And the reason my book got flagged is because even though it's not mentioned in the title it scrolls by on the screen when she's scrolling through and so i was like oh that's like pretty funny that my book got like flagged for such a brief cameo appearance in video and then there were subtitles on so she was like and then we just pick a book and then she scrolls up and then she clicks on mine and i was like wait what and then literally if you watch the video i can dm you the link she goes through the start-to-finish process of pirating my book. And as I said in the tweet about it, I said, I do not mean that she made a tutorial of how to pirate books, including mine. I mean, it is a video about how to pirate Deposing Nathan by Zach Smedley. <laughs> I can't believe that. I mean, I know these things exist online where it's like, how to get Photoshop for free. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. No, like, I, let me literally, I mean, you don't have to watch it while we're still recording, but let me literally DM you that, that video right now, because before I forget. Um, I'm, like, screaming that this exists on yeah. YouTube. Ooh, thank you. You're welcome. It's, again, like, it was like something out of a comedy movie where just me watching her scroll past, and I'm like, oh, haha, my book. And then she, like, goes over, I'm like, what are you doing? And then she clicks, I'm like, what are you doing? And then by the end of the video, she's, like, playing around on the PDF. I'm like, that's my book. <laughs> I just, I literally, I, I don't understand, like, yeah. why you would public, like, put that thing up online. Also, how is this video still up? Oh, I mean, I'm flattered. Like, I, I don't want people to, like, <laughs> take it down. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I mean... I don't think I'll get more famous than the book that someone selected as the thing they want to pirate on a, like, Russian tutorial or Chechen tutorial, whatever you call it. So, yeah. No, I'm I'm flattered. But <laughs> I'm going to say people should go out and buy your book instead of try to find this video online and steal it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I already tweeted about it. And I, <laughs> I did get uh, the website taken down. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing that I tell you. So you have to file your own D- DMC, DC, whatever the fuck, uh, copyright claims. It's either DCMA or DMCA. I forget which. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yep. I literally had to like look up how to do that and then write one and then send it to them. But it worked. Well, um, I I feel like I've taken up a lot of your time, so um, <laughs> I always want to make sure that I'm not like okay, bye, and the author's like. <laughs> the fuck did we even talk about yeah 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 no it's this has probably been this is definitely the most comprehensive interview i've done yes so yeah i I have not done one that's been two hours long so it's it's been a good time though i've liked the conversation thank you um we always appreciate having people on um if you ever do wind up like putting out another book i'd love to talk to you again even if it's just to like have you wanted to talk about your favorite books of the year Whenever, um, like, I'm so fine with revisiting conversations with people. Um, Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But um, I guess I'll do the outro then. My name is Brandon Patrick, and we have Zach Smedley here with us. Say bye, Zach. Bye, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you've been listening to the Superlit Podcast.